Please be seated. We listen to the word of God from the first uh, chapter of John's Gospel, verses 10 to 14. Passage that speaks about the light coming into the world. (coughs) He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's hear the words of scripture from Luke chapter 12 and verses 35 to 48, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can be ready, immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and maidservants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready, or does not do what his master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know, and does things deserving punishment, will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked.
What time are you arriving? When can we expect you? If you're looking to make someone welcome, those are the kind of questions you will ask to try and make sure that everything's ready and waiting for them when they arrive. And if you are organised and they arrive on time and everything goes according to plan, then making the welcome should be a relatively stress-free experience. But if they arrive early, that can be quite disruptive. If they arrive late, particularly if you're not in a place with a mobile phone signal and they can ring and let you know what the problem is, that can also be a particularly stressful experience. Early guests are probably harder to cope with because if you're not ready when they arrive, there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Late ones, at least, you can try and do something to, 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 to put the meal on hold or, or to spin things out or to try and adjust to the delay. Here in 21st century Britain, we measure time in minutes. Arriving 15 minutes early at someone's house can be a source of major disruption and inconvenience. At other times and in other parts of the world, people don't measure time in minutes so much as in hours or days. They don't lack the split-second attention to timing that matters so much to us in our driven culture. So take a thought for those servants who've been told to be ready and waiting for their master coming home from a wedding. And they have no idea when to expect him. Could be any time between midnight and daybreak. They are expected to be there, standing, waiting, with the lights on, ready at a moment's notice to open the door and welcome him when they hear him knocking. But weddings in that culture actually lasted a week. So it's not just a matter of what time of night he might arrive. It's actually, you know, whether it's tonight or, or maybe even tomorrow night if things get a little bit out of hand. They couldn't even be sure exactly, necessarily, which night to expect him. So given that uncertain time frame, it might seem a little bit unreasonable for the master to expect the servants just to be there, ready and waiting, standing, attentive, not sleeping, not going about other business, not making themselves useful in any one of a dozen other ways that they could be, just there, waiting for him to knock at the door. There, not allowing themselves any sleep. There, in a constant state of readiness. Is that really such a good use of their time and resources? I imagine there are quite a few fans of Downton Abbey here present this evening or or listening to this sermon on the podcast. You've seen the servants standing outside ready to welcome an important guest. And that happens because they know what time the guest is arriving. They've all spent hours getting ready, prepared, so at exactly the right moment they can be there to, to give the formal welcome required. But if they don't know 
what time the master is returning, or they don't know what time the guest is coming. Coordinating that kind of thing becomes a real headache. You can imagine what Mr. Carson would say in those circumstances. At some point in the next 48 hours, maybe, they'll be here. We all have to be ready to welcome them at whatever time that happens. He would make it happen, but he'd grumble about it. Yet in that culture, if it was a master's will that the servant should just be kept waiting, then that was what the servant was to do. Because the master's word was law. And if the servant was told to be ready and waiting for the master's return, then that was the servant's task. Nothing else, however important it might be in the servant's mind, however important it might be logically, that takes second place to the command. When I come back, let's have you ready and waiting with the lights on, please, so that you can welcome me and my bride. To do the master's bidding is the entire focus. And of course, the master is away at this point in time. The expectation is that the servants should be ready and waiting and everything be ready in his absence. And there's a, a sense in which you can measure the quality of a servant by the standard of work they do in the absence of the employer. That's why managers are so important, because people tend to let things drift a little bit unless there's someone standing over them, making sure it's done in accordance with proper procedures and done properly and thoroughly. It's one thing to be busy when someone is standing over you, watching what you do and managing how you use your time. It's another thing if you're left to your own devices, left unsupervised, left with general instructions to, to continue to use your time profitably and productively. And so we've got this unfortunate servant in Jesus' parable. He gets bored waiting for his master to come home. And as often the case when people get bored, starts to misbehave, starts to mistreat his fellow servants, to assert his power and authority, to, to boss them around, even to, to kind of force them to do what he wants, takes their food for himself, drinks his master's best vintage from the wine cellar. Such a servant, warns Jesus doesn't just lose his job, gets chopped up into little pieces and assigned a place among the unbelievers. We're clearly dealing with metaphorical language here. If you've been cut in half, then whatever happens to the, your body placed among the unbelievers doesn't really matter all that much to you, unless that's a reference to being cast into hell. But however you take the language, it's clear that the servant who is caught misbehaving incurs his master's displeasure and anger, as would a servant caught sleeping on the job. So be awake, be alert, be dressed, be ready and waiting, says Jesus. And what's this all about? It's about the second coming of Jesus. The fact that he's returning again. Having come anonymously, almost, in obscurity, being born in a stable in Bethlehem with just a few people being aware of it as we reflected in our prayers. He will return in power and glory as judge of all the earth. And that is going to happen one day without warning. But we are called to be ready and waiting and expectant and doing his will at that point in time. 
there will be no opportunity to rush round and get our house in order. There will be no opportunity to set things right if things are not right at that moment in time. He's been a a long time coming, of course, some 2,000 years. So we've had plenty of time, really, to be prepared. And yet how many of us, when he comes, we will say, Ah, I wasn't expecting you so soon. So soon, after 2,000 years? There's a certain amount of irony in that. But there you are, we've been waiting so long that his arrival will be every bit as disruptive and unexpected as a guest arriving early. It's the unexpected nature of it that means we will feel perhaps he comes sooner than we are prepared for him to arrive. And so we want to say, well, when can we expect you then? What time are you arriving? How can we make sure that everything is ready and we're not caught napping? But you won't get helpful answers from him to those questions because the timetable of his coming is known only to the Father. By definition, it will be unexpected. It's only if we are in a constant state of readiness that it will not also be unwelcome. That's what Jesus meant when he said if the householder knew what time the thief was going to burgle his home, he would have been ready and waiting. Well, of course he would. But thieves don't call by appointment. And neither does the Son of Man when he returns. If we say Jesus is Lord, then our place is to be ready, waiting, expectant, prepared for his return, with lamps lit, ready to make him welcome, at whatever point in time that might happen. And that's tricky, because we, we tend not to think very much in those terms. We're, when Doug and Christy were married the other week, they made their vows to each other, saying they would be faithful to each other until they would be parted by death. Technically, we could and maybe should have added, or, or until Jesus comes again, which is a real possibility. We might perhaps consider it a remote possibility. Yet it's not such a remote possibility that we can afford to put it out of our minds. Because Jesus coming back is not an event that may never happen. It's not something, oh, you know, it might happen, it might not happen, who knows. One day, it is going to happen. It may or may not happen in our lifetime, but one day, He is definitely coming back. And when he does, you don't want to be the one caught with your trousers down. And when he comes, that will be the point in time at which we will be called to give an account of our lives. Those of us given resources or gifts to be used in his service will be given the appraisal to end all appraisals, literally while those of us entrusted with responsibility will be assessed on how we've carried out those responsibilities. The greater the gift, the greater the responsibility, the more accountability we will have to him, have to give to him on that day. All of us have gifts. We will all have to give an account. 
but the more that has been entrusted to us, the more we will be held accountable. So what actually does Jesus expect us to be doing when he returns? Because if it's on a Sunday night, we're pretty safe, aren't we? Because we're all sitting in church, that's a good place to be. That would be good timing from our point of view. But if it's a different night, or during the week, what does he expect to find? Clearly, being drunk and beating up our fellow servants is something to avoid. But equally, he doesn't expect us to be sitting here in church day and night, seven days a week, just so we're in the right place if he were to come back. That is to take the idea of of sitting there or standing there with our lamps lit and, and ready a little bit too literally, perhaps. It's not even as if he expects us to be engaged in some kind of church activity, as if at that point in time you just happened to be doing something on behalf of Brighton Road Baptist Church. That would look good, wouldn't it? But equally, you know, there's more to life than Brighton Road Baptist Church. There is, believe me. And and nor does he expect us to be perpetually engaged in busyness, as if we would burn ourselves out. If he comes when you are having a day off, that will, I was going to say that won't be the end of the world, but it will be, but you know what I mean. (laughs) You do need times of relaxation, fun and enjoyment as well. You won't find many preachers these days warning of the dire consequences of being caught in the cinema when Jesus comes back. But he does expect us to use our time effectively to be using and making the most of our gifts and resources. It's said of Wesley that when someone said to him, if, if you knew Jesus was coming back next week, what would you do? And he opened his diary and said, well, this, this, is, this is where I would spend the coming week. Already living as if that were to be the last week of his life. So it is a matter of using our time well. It is a matter of living our lives for him. Not necessarily so much what you are doing at that precise moment of his return, but what will matter is whether you have spent your time living your life for him, using your gifts for him. Whether that's in church or at home or at work, whatever. Whatever we do, we do it in conscious service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with our aim to glorify and honour him. The commentator Francois Bourbon rightly says, not knowing the hour of the arrival of the Son of Man is equivalent to knowing that each hour is an occasion for loving God and one's neighbour and that his call can be sounded at any moment. So how should I be living my life? In the absence of specific instructions, those combined principles of loving God and loving my neighbour is all we need to know. That's what he wants to find us doing. That's the business on which he wants us to be engaged. That is how we will be judged. But it's also worth pausing and thinking. Are there things God is telling me to do that I've just been putting off? Or saying, I'll get round to it one day, or... Just I'm not really sure about whether I'm willing to take that step of commitment. You don't want to be saying, oh, 
sorry, I didn't take it seriously enough, or sorry, I meant to, but I never got around to it at that point in time. Maybe if he's spoken, now is the time to be acting on that. You don't want to have to explain why you just didn't get around to doing what you were told. Or what about those gifts that he's given that you're not using? Or what about that calling that you've stuffed in a drawer of your life and you don't really want to get it out and put it into practice? Or what about those things that he said that you've put to the back of your mind and just tried to forget about? When Jesus comes and calls us to give an account, what will we say about those things? Part of being ready is not to to put the difficult bits out of mind, not to put his agenda to the back of our agenda. It's about saying, well, if Jesus is Lord, that means doing what he says now. And if that means change, taking that change on board now. What about our readiness to engage the whole of our lives in his service? so that we are living in the constant awareness that he is the one for whom we live every single day. And all those other things in, in this busy 21st century lifestyle of ours, all, the, all those other things that demand our attention and our priorities, our loyalty, our time, our money, let's put them under Christ and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't let all those other things squeeze Jesus out of your schedule. Push him out of your heart. Dethrone him from your life. Because one day, maybe even one day before 2014 is out, we will have to give an account of our lives to him. And the most important thing then will be to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we look back over all the things that you said would happen. You spoke of your death, you promised your resurrection, you spoke of the destruction of the temple, spoke of building your church, you promised the coming of the Spirit, and we have consistently seen your faithfulness and truthfulness. You spoke about coming back again as well. We recognise those words aren't to be taken lightly. You call us to be ready. You call us to be waiting. You call us to be expectant. You call us to be engaged in your service. Lord, because of what you have done, 
we offer our lives in service to you. By your grace, Lord, enable us to serve you well. And where our faith is weak or our commitment is poor, would you fill us with your spirit and renew us and enable us to be faithful servants. Lift our eyes to your coming. Fill our hearts with the hope and expectation of your return. In a dark world, may our faces always be turned towards your light. In Jesus' name, amen.